right then, welcome back to our study of the book of First Timothy. And we are on in chapter four, uh, verses 15 and 16. And uh, so let's start reading again in verse 12, as we did in our last session. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. It teaches us how to live, oh Lord, that our hearts would be lashed to it, to its precepts and its commands. We know, Father, from from your dear son, that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. Oh, dear God, help us, especially those of us who are ministers of Christ, to know the commands to expound them in our own lives, that they would have an impact upon our own lives, that our lives might be more useful to your son's bride and bring glory to him. In Jesus name. Amen. Now, we looked in verse 15 at the idea of us having to take pains with these things and being absorbed in these things. And of course, these things, as we have defined them from verses 12 through 14, are the cultivation of character, Christ-like virtue, the cultivation of biblical knowledge, and the cultivation of the ministry of proclamation. And, uh, you know, how many people have I heard I've heard I've read Dwight L. Moody saying this. I've known other men that are alive today saying the same thing. Do not give me a man who's a jack of all trades. Do not give me a man who is good at many things. Give me a man who's devoted himself to simply a few things. And if he's a rational man, he will have devoted himself to the higher things that have been given to him. And you're a minister of Christ. You have been given the extraordinary gift of being a proclaimer of God's word and you need to devote yourself to it. And and let me say this. um, You need to devote yourself in a sense to learning how to communicate, how to preach. Um, As a matter of fact, my dear friend, Dr. Lawson uh, travels around the world teaching people how to preach. And one day I'm going to take his class and learn how to preach. Uh, So there's there's that. And it is very, very important. But if Dr. Lawson were here right now, he would also tell you that although the method and the means are important, that there are general guidelines, 
If the word of God's not abiding in you, it doesn't matter a hill of beans, as we say here. It doesn't matter at all how well you are at speaking. This is about the word of God burning inside of a man. And burning because he has spent time in the word, because he knows God, because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's more than just a bunch of guys who are really, really smart, who know a lot about the rules of exposition and homiletics. It's about men who walk with God and spend time with God. Um, who get, who are forced at times to get up, it seems, almost every night at three in the morning. Who know when it's time to pray. Who know when God is calling them away for a while. Men who spend time in the word, who are very disciplined because they know this is the key. North America is not going to be if it is going to be turned back to God, it's not going to be turned back to God by all your activity. It's going to be turned back to God by prophets. By preachers. By men who proclaim the word of God and suffer for it. And suffer for it. So it's the cultivation of character, because without character, you can't preach. And it's the cultivation of knowing the word of God so that you can preach and it's preaching. Now, in verse 15, he gave the two commands, take pains with these things. And then the other be in these things. The New American Standard translates it, be absorbed in these things. Where's the preacher? He's in his study. Is he blogging? No. Is he building up his Twitter account or his Instagram? No, he doesn't even know how to do that. What is he doing? He's studying and he's praying. Now, young men, don't make me visit you. Get off the Internet and get on your knees. Get on your knees. Now, in verse 16, he gives us the goal of these admonitions. Our verse 15, he gives us the goal of these admonitions, he says, so that your progress will be evident to all. He, you're required, your life after seminary is not supposed to be static. If you go to seminary for three years and you go to a good seminary, we're going to see you grow. In three years, we're going to see you grow. Now, your knowledge is going to grow a lot faster than your ability to actually live it out, but you're going to grow. And if you're a diligent student, your progress is going to be evident. That's not supposed to end when you graduate from seminary. Seminary is just giving you the tools so that you can begin. So your first day out of seminary is when you actually begin to start laboring to make progress. Now, so uh, one of my favorite uh, commentary writers is D. Edmund, he D. Edmund Hebert. He's very, very helpful. If you can get him, uh, get him. Uh, he's written on, on many, many uh, different epistles. He says, when Paul says that your progress be evident to all, he uses a word 
This is a graphic picture of a pioneer cutting his way forward through obstacles by means of strenuous effort, like a man blazing a trail through a tangled forest. Th that's what he's talking about. He's saying, Timothy, cut your way through. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever had to cut your way through a jungle, but I can tell you what, it's a lot more difficult in reality than it is in the movies. You don't make much progress. Do you know that most when you're in the jungle and you go down a major river and you go all the way across the country on that major river and, you know, every so many kilometers, you'll see somebody on a river. Or maybe every, you know, uh, you know, 60, 70 kilometers, you'll come across a village and you'll think to yourself, well, this jungle's populated because as I'm going down this river, you know, I'm seeing people. What you need to realize is that in most cases, those people never go into the interior more than a kilometer or so. Why? Because it's just impossible to cut your way through the jungle is very, very difficult. It is hot. It is sweaty. It will make you tired. It will make you dirty. Um, one of the things about when you use a machete in the jungle, most people don't know this. You want a really long machete. And we used to use these machetes called gavilanes. And uh, you sharpen. So you've got the handle right here. And you don't sharpen from the handle to about right here. You only start sharpening later. Why is that? Because when you're cutting through bugs and twigs and leaves and everything fall on the back of your neck. So you're cutting with your machete and then you go up and you clean your neck off and you keep going. It's very, very difficult work and you, you can't go very fast. So what Paul is talking about here is the same thing. It's a graphic picture of someone cutting his way through the most dense forest or jungle and he's removing obstacles. It's requiring a tremendous amount of effort. He's sweaty and he's tired at the end of the day. Now, would you say that that describes you in your desire to grow in Christ-like character? Would you say that describes you in your desire to know more of God's word? Would you say that describes you in your desire to, for lack of a better phrase, prepare for Sunday morning? Is this you? You know, if a fighter fights twice a year, that's a lot. A lot of fights last only, you know, three rounds, three, three minute rounds, nine minutes. So in an entire year, let's say he has fought 18 minutes. But man, those fights were something to behold. People bought tickets just to take a seat and watch him fight. 18 minutes. All the rest of the time was training. All the rest of the time was discipline, preparation. You know, you could preach one sermon and change the world. Or you could preach 
10,000 and change nothing. Leonard Ravenhill used to say uh, in the way that only he could, Peter preached once and 3,000 were converted. We preached 3,000 times and no one's converted. Gentlemen, there's no way around it. This is not some busy little boy running around and then trying to grab a few minutes and a few moments before he gets up in a pulpit. This is someone who lives this. You know, there's no um, there's no mystery as to why Paul would use soldiers and athletes to describe this. Um, Soldiers will I have known of soldiers who trained and trained and trained for years and never saw action. Snipers that hone their skills and then never, never are brought into warfare. The discipline required Olympic athletes, someone discovers that a child has gifts in, in, of strength when they're six years old and from the time they're six until they're 20, their whole life is devoted to lifting a barbell over their head. Diet, time, sleep, friendships, everything is changed to get a gold medal that isn't gold. Maybe if we spent a lot more time cutting through this forest and a lot less time, I don't know, being busy in other things, we would be more useful. So I've written here, if the minister's progress is not evident to the congregation, if the believer's progress is not evident to the pagan, if the husband's progress is not evident to the wife, and if the father's progress is not evident to the child, then there is little hope of being a godly influence. Think about that. There's little hope of being a godly influence. And um, you know, when, when you speak in conferences or you're an evangelist that comes and then leaves, it's not that difficult to appear godly before people. But when you're a minister who is uh, ministering to the same people for decades, um, you're in their house, they're watching you go through all kinds of trials. Or when you're a father, your wife, uh, your children, that's a complete different story. A complete different story. You men have been called to pastor. Your the influence that you're going to have. Hopefully will come mostly from your. Powerful and edifying expositions of scripture, because people need the word of God more than they need your example. But hopefully your example is validating all your claims with regard to the power of the word and the power of prayer and the power of the spirit and the power of God to transform a person. Very, very important so that your progress will be evident to all. Now, here's another thing that I want you to see. Um, when we get older, 
And I had, I would have never voiced this, but it was kind of in the back of my mind. As I got older, I thought, surely, you know, the trials and tribulations that I had to go through when I was in my full strength, surely I won't have to repeat things like that. Well, I was wrong. Until you die, God will never be finished with you. He will always be wanting progress. And I believe, at least in my life, as I've gotten older, the trials have gotten far more difficult than when I was younger. Um, sometimes you just say, God, it, will it always be unrelenting? Will it always be unrelenting? And I want you to know that you should not be surprised that if you have called on the name of the Lord and asked him to make you like Jesus, if he has put you in the ministry, then my dear brethren, you are going to go th through things for your progress and for the benefit of God's people. And, and here's something that's very, very important. Whenever we think of God disciplining somebody, we always think it must be the result of some sin. Well, that's not, that's not always the case. It can be. God can discipline us because of unrepentant sin or because of something we've gotten ourselves into. Um, but God also disciplines us as a coach would an athlete. And so a man that is walking um, with God, with no um, outstanding uh, unrepentant sin, someone who's making progress, God may put them through an even greater hell, allow them to go through even greater and greater trials, not because there is outstanding sin, but because he plans to make something of them. Know this, if you've ever asked God to use you for something great, then you must suffer greatly. There's just no way around it. I'm sorry. So. Verse 16. Paul concludes with one of the most misunderstood and yet powerful statements. Uh, with regard to a minister of Christ, it shows our responsibility before God. He says, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. The phrase pay close attention is to hold upon something, to retain it. So it's, it's to fix your eyes on something. OK. Not let go of it. No, you need to keep looking at it. Uh, when I was young and I used to, to hunt a lot, you could see an animal coming toward you uh, in the woods. And and literally, if you weren't careful without it, even trying to do anything, it's as though it would disappear in front of you. Turkeys, especially you see them in one second and then it's just like they vanish. So when you see that first movement, whether it's on a deer, the flick of a tail or an ear or just the tip of a horn, you watch it and you fix on it because if you turn away, blink your eyes, you can lose sight of it and it's gone. And what he's saying here is it's the same way. Pay close attention to yourself. This does not mean be self-absorbed. This is not talking about a selfish, you know, self-absorption in which you're all about you. It goes back to pay close attention to your character, your Christ likeness. It's so important. 
So how you live, pay attention to it. And it goes back to all those virtues in verse 12. It goes back to disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness, as we've seen earlier in this chapter. It's extraordinary in its importance. He says, hold upon it, fix your eyes on it, mark it, stay there. Do not take your eyes off of your character. But then he says the same thing about your teaching. Be very, very careful with your teaching. You know what James says? Not many of you be teachers. We will incur a stricter judgment. It's true, brother. Now, listen to me. I always I, I used to tell people a lot of times when I was getting ready to preach something, I would say preaching is extremely dangerous. First of all, it's it's dangerous for the preacher because if he preaches something that's not true. But if he preaches what is true, if he correctly expounds the text, then what he's preaching is dangerous for the hearer because they will be responsible for it on the day of judgment on how they responded. But know this preaching and character can get you in a lot of danger. You, your teaching and your character has the power to promote godliness in others. It also has the power to destroy them. So the KJV, the King James Version translates it this way. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Take heed. Pay attention. Don't turn your eyes away from it. Don't, don't. Sometimes when we would be carrying logs uh, in a trailer, big trailer, and it's sometimes kind of dangerous, gets really, really heavy. And I would tell my boys, especially Evan, I'd say, Evan, sit in the back seat, turn around and just keep looking at the trailer. Tell me, tell me if anything happens to that trailer as we're going down this mountain pass, you let me know. I need to know if anything moves, don't take your eyes off the trailer. It's the same way. Don't take your eyes off of your character or your teaching. Now, he says, persevere in them. Now, I, I want to point out something that should be obvious. Uh, have you ever gotten a stare down competition with somebody? You know, whoever blinks first loses. I mean, it's pretty easy to look at something until someone tells you, let's have a stare down. Then everything in your brain wants to blink, wants to turn your eyes away. And uh, so it's easy to begin something. It's difficult to persevere in it. So he says he's not just, hey, pay close attention at the beginning. And, and, and guys, listen to me. This is where some of the old ministers really get in trouble. And they suffer what we call the old prophet syndrome. When they were young, they paid attention to themselves. They didn't trust themselves. They stayed. They kept their eyes fast on the word of God. They stayed on their knees and then they got older and they thought, I got this. I'm OK. And, and they, they fall into ruin. So he says not only to pay close attention, but he says persevere in them. OK, you've heard of the Greek word meno, which means to abide. This is epimeno. It is to stay over, to stay upon. It, it, it's, it's intensive. And the idea is remain, abide in, persevere, continue in it, tarry in it. 
So what he's saying is to constantly be thinking about your own godliness. And you know what involves there? What there's there's discipline, training yourself in righteousness, studying the word of God, being taught by the word of God, being rebuked by the word of God, being corrected by the word of God. That that's the idea here with regard to your doctrine. Stay in it, stay in it. So he says Mounts um, translates it this way to stay longer referring to a prolonged stay, to remain on. Don't just show up, look at your character and your doctrine, and then go away. And remember what we have again in the book of James, someone who looks in the word of God and then forgets. It's like someone who looks in a mirror and forgets. You know, like you got a guy who looks in a mirror and sees exactly how ugly he is, and then turns away and a few minutes later, he thinks he looks pretty good. He needs to go back to the mirror again so that reality can hit him square in the face. And that's the idea here. Continue. The same word is used in Acts 10, verse 48. And Peter ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. That's the idea to stay on, to stay there, to not just show up and walk away, but to make it your thing. Guys, listen to me. Just. When I remember this one, this one boy, uh, man, he had some potential. He, he was big. He was a big dude and he was born with muscles. And he was wanting to be a football player and a fighter and all these other things. And I told his dad, I said, you know what you need to do? You need to chain that boy to a weight machine and just visit him every week and throw a side of, of beef in there and let him eat it. Just let him live there in that barn with weights and throw meat in there every once in a while and bring him out in about five years and you'll have a monster on your hands. That's the same way with you. We need to throw you in your study and lock you in there with the word of God. With maybe a prayer bench. With no connection to the outside world. The word of God. Prayer. And, and you'll come out with a renewed strength. Now, again, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching and persevere in them are um, their present tense commands, present tense imperatives. They're saying just continue. Continue to pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Continue to persevere in these things. Now, in the last part of verse 16, we see the goal. Why? Why should we pay close attention to ourselves and to our teachings? Why should we persevere? He says, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Wow. I can't think of a, a more. I can't think of, of an idea worthy of more contemplation. 
We're talking about heaven and hell. Aren't we now we're talking about salvation. We're not even just talking about some idea of rewards. Or a mansion over the hillside. We're talking here about eternal salvation or eternal damnation. Now, we all know that if we are believing, we are believing by the sovereign grace of God. And if we are believing by the sovereign grace of God, we will continue. But there are things that we need to understand that this does not rule out the human element. In the whole matter. So I've written here the minister's perseverance and progress in the gospel not only ensures that he is a genuine convert. One of the evidences that we are genuinely converts is that we persevere. We persevere, we remain in the word of God, we make progress. Without sanctification, no one will see the Lord. Doesn't mean that we win our salvation by sanctification, but sanctification is an indication that we truly are converted. I have lived long enough to see men who were great in the pulpit totally apostatize. I have lived long enough to see people who seem to be very holy. To utterly destroy their families and turn away from God, family, wife, everything and throw themselves headlong into sin. I have seen it. And do not think that those of us who are here in this lesson today are incapable of such. Because that's simply not true. So a minister who makes no progress or even departs will not only ruin his own soul, but may carry many with him into apostasy. There have been many people, although we acknowledge, fully acknowledge God's sovereign work of salvation behind the matter. We still have to acknowledge there are many people who have been ruined by ministers. Ministers ruin themselves and they ruin others and they ruin the reputation of the church. Now, you can say to yourself and you would be true in saying, well, if they were ruined by the minister, it means that they didn't really belong to God. And you can go all back and forth into all that. And there's great truth there. But it does not eliminate the fact that our lives have impact for good and impact for bad. And if you say our my life can't have an impact for bad on a genuine believer. Well, then you're also saying your life can't have an impact for good on a genuine believer. And therefore, why are you even in the ministry? The fact is, what we do can help God's people, can hurt God's people. And remember what Jesus warned. Someone puts a stumbling block in front of his children. That is a very, very dangerous thing to do. Now, I want to finish here by reading one of the best summaries of this passage. It's from Dr. MacArthur, and it is a, a wonderful and powerful a summary giving great clarity. So just listen. A true man of God will concentrate totally. Look at this. A true man of God will concentrate totally on holiness and public instruction. 
The benefit of so doing is twofold. It will ensure salvation both for the minister himself and for those who hear him. It will bring about salvation for him in the sense that final salvation, deliverance from sin and entrance into eternal glory demands perseverance. It is the unmistakable teaching of Scripture that persevering in the faith is a mark of genuine salvation. John said in John 8:31, Jesus said in John 8:31, "If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples." Remember, epimeno, the word here, meno is persevere, abide in, keep going. Perseverance is the result of giving careful heed and holding on to one's own devotion to spiritual virtue. While the perseverance of the saints can only be accomplished by the power of God, it is nonetheless the responsibility of each believer. An excellent minister's perseverance will also bring salvation for those who hear his message. He, of course, is not the source of their salvation, but is merely the agent of it. God's glory is not at all forfeited or diminished because he uses human instruments in the divine work of saving souls. Rather, it is enhanced by his making useful those who are so weak and ennobling them who are so ignoble. His godly life and faithful teaching of the word will have a saving impact on those who hear him. The result is that some will be saved. That is the church's highest calling and the sole reason she remains in the world. It is the goal of all the noble ser- of all the noble servant does in the ministry. You can have a tremendous impact for good in the lives of individuals, in the lives of individual churches and in the lives of churches collectively. You can also bring great harm. And here's the scary part. You can spend a great part of your life doing great good and then eventually destroy all the good you've done. Do you realize that? I personally know a case at the moment that I've had to deal with where a genuine minister uh, who lives far away from me um, has resulted in so many people being discouraged and turned away from the faith because of certain things that he would not let go of, certain things that he would not give into. So what you need to understand is that with great privilege comes great responsibility. Now, another thing I want you to think about as you go on with the Lord and as you go on in your ministry, if the Lord prospers your ministry. And you become known beyond your church. What what a terrible, terrible, terrible responsibility that is. How frightening it is. You know, someone who is capable of great good is capable of the same degree of evil. We can be a blessing, we can cause ruin. And so we, in light of this, in light of this, 
Now, can you see why Paul is telling Timothy what he's telling him? Can you see? Timothy, make progress. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in these things. And, and brethren, listen to me. What you are in public will be determined by what you are in private. You must understand that. You must. And you must teach this in your church. Your church needs to know that one of the reasons why it needs faithful deacons and they need to be qualified deacons and they need to be deacons that are honored is so that those who are involved in the proclamation of the word can actually proclaim the word and give their life to it, to living it, to living it. How much more could be done outside in the public if far more time was given to the private? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that you would use it in the life of the young men who are listening to this, to this lesson. Oh God, instill, increase in us the fear of the Lord. Help us, dear God. Help these men, especially to be a light in the French-speaking world, that, oh God, there would be a revival that there would be a revival of men and women turning to Christ. In Jesus' name.